0: Let's look at uh, chapter 6 in the book of Galatians, and um, there's 17, 18 verses here. We're just going to read them all and then come back and look through them uh, independently. Uh, Beginning in verse 1, Galatians chapter 6, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall also of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us be not weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. You see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world for it is for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision but a new creature and as many walk according to this rule peace be on them, and mercy upon the Israel of God. From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. Amen. So here we are uh, at the final chapter of this epistle. You can obviously hear the conclusion starting around verse 11 when he begins to uh, conclude uh, the epistle and he uh, in, in effect, reviews all that he has said. We've come here, we'll see this conclusion. We've considered much concerning the ideas of legalism and the application of legalism. We've learned much concerning the grace of God and the doctrines that govern the life of the believer who is living under the grace of God. That is, the believer who has been redeemed by by grace through faith in the finished work of the cross, the believer who has understood that we are justified by faith rather than by works, the believer who also understands that as we have been justified by faith, so will we be further sanctified by faith, and eventually so will we be glorified, all of which is by faith in Christ rather than, works of the flesh. A couple of weeks ago, we considered the curse of the law and we rejoiced in the promise of the new covenant. We've learned that you and I, the born again, are heirs by the grace of God and that we are the adopted or that we have been, excuse me, adopted as the sons of God. We've discussed the definition of adoption and what is that? It is being placed as an adult son in the family capable of conducting family business. So we're both born into the family of God and adopted as a son of God. We've also talked about the liberty that that adoption entitles us with. We've learned about the power of liberty and the power of love. We also spoke last week concerning some expectations that we should have. There is a continual war within, but there is an indwelling spirit that is a power within. This week as we come to the end of the study, we see uh, as we read there, I'm sure you picked up on the phraseology, some really practical exhortations as to how we should interact in the body of Christ or with the body of Christ. Those statements almost seem independently proverbial. You heard them as we were reading, but think of this, restore the brethren. Display a spirit of meekness. Bear one another's burdens. Fulfill the law of Christ. Don't think too highly of yourself. They sound independently proverbial. You could almost take one of those verses, and, and preachers have been doing it for years, uh, read that verse and find you a jumping off spot and preach for 30 minutes about something in that area. But they're not uh, independently proverbial. They're much more related. They're much more congruent, congruent than that. If, if we were to uh, title that first verse, um, 10 verses, uh, I would title it Interactions. Uh, There's a a wealth of examples in the New Testament church in the last 150 years, uh, in my opinion, uh, uh, emphasized in the last 30 that people within the body of Christ don't understand how to interact with each other. And this passage speaks directly to the, a part of that problem. And Paul is still, he's still talking about the Judaizers. He's still talking about legalism. He's still talking about which laws uh, you can actually fulfill. He's still talking about the same thing, but he's speaking about interacting within the body. You would remember that this church at Galatia was a church founded by the Apostle Paul taught the true gospel of God, born again and believing. And then when Paul left, the Judaizers would come in and muddy the water up with all of this legalistic talk. And some of the Galatians who were true believers bought that legalistic talk, hook, line, and sinker. And now all of a sudden, Paul's talking about restore the brethren. Well, who's he talking about? See, it's it's not independently proverbial. It's contextually the same conversation. We would see first that you should be a developer of men. If if you want to interact properly in the body of Christ, you ought to be a developer of other persons. So there should not be a, a time in your Christian walk where you look at someone else and you have any thought about them other than How can I help them? How can I develop them? How can they develop me? How can we uh, aid one another in uh, growing and becoming more like Christ? And if I look and see a brother or a sister who has fallen, we'll talk about that in a moment, I should not think uh, uh, too bad, glad they're gone, Didn't like them anyway. Uh, They had an arrogant attitude. They sat in my chair last week. We should think, oh Lord, what can I do to to restore that person? How can I help restore that person? And so we should think about this idea of being a developer of men, or we could just as easily say a forgiver of men, and and by men, we we mean uh, everyone, mankind. That's really the direct subject here is that if someone fails, brethren, if a man be overtaken in fault, if someone fails, if someone sins, and look, I'm not talking about, uh, I mean, everyone sins every day. That is the purpose of 1 John 1, 9. And it ought to be an active part of your Christian life. I'm talking about somebody falls out of fellowship with the body of Christ. They are in an open fault. Uh, The fault that he's talking about here is some of them were uh, by faith uh, through grace and some of them were by works. This one has fallen. They're in a fault. He says, if they do, someone fails, someone sinned, someone is found at fault, we, the spiritual, that's what he says there, ye which are spiritual, he's talking to those who are not only indwelt with the Spirit, because that fallen brother's indwelt with the Spirit too, he's talking about those who are being led of the Spirit, those who are living in the Spirit. Remember last week? If you live in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Those who are walking in the Spirit. So it's, it's, we're talking to the church, the, the body of Christ, the born again, the brethren. You should seek, he says, to restore that person. But when we forgive, when we restore, when we seek, Restoration. I'm going to tell you, most of us are uh, mature adults in here, and we know this is true. Just because you seek to restore them doesn't mean you're going to be able to. Well, we've had we've had that. I've had that in my ministry. People that, that I wanted to restore to the body, and I couldn't. They, they just wouldn't have it. We have some now that I would like to restore. People that we pray for, people that we... We, uh, we cry over them. We love them. But we just can't restore them right now. But we should want to. It should be our goal, our desire. But when we do, we're developing people. Because that one who is at fault, who is then restored, is typically going to be willing to pay that forward. They're going to remember, as Paul suggests here, They're going to remember when they were at fault, how they were restored, and they're going to look out for someone else so that they can see if they can restore that brother or that sister. And so we're developing people. In fact, it's truly part, you could say part and parcel, of our Christian understanding that we should forgive others. Why? Finish that as God has forgiven us, right? Uh, that's the entire, the entire uh, hook, uh, the, the meaning, the thrust behind uh, that parable of the ungrateful servant. I forgave you all of that. Could you not have forgiven him? And that is the, the idea is that God wants us in our Christian walk to realize God has forgiven me of an immense debt that I could have never cleared Surely I can forgive some of these smaller things. That is Christianity. And so we, of course, have the Apostle Paul here speaking directly, and I believe he's speaking directly to the problem legalism. He's saying to uh, those Galatians who have maintained their position of grace, and he is speaking to them, and he is speaking about the ones who have been lured away by the Judaizers, and the command is for the one to restore the other. Go and get them. You you know the truth. You you held to the truth. I have reiterated the truth. I have told you the weakness behind the Judaistic argument. Go and get those other believers and restore them. The, The word restore in the original language... Is cataratizo? Uh, I don't know about you, but that sounds like Greek to me. Uh. Um, what does it mean? This is what we know. It means to mend, to make sufficient, to make complete to put back into its proper state. This is what we're told. Uh, we're told that it, the, the Greek meaning is, is associated with the, a dislocated limb or appendage being reduced to its place. A broken bone set for healing. So, so if you've ever experienced a broken bone or a dislocated joint, this is what you know it feels a whole lot better immediately when it's back in the general vicinity that it's supposed to be in. There is a relief to the body. The body knows. Doesn't matter how small it is, the body knows when it's not where it's supposed to be. And when you put it back in its proper place for healing, there is a relief to the body. And and Paul is using that example, and he's saying to them. That's the same experience for the body of Christ. We should seek to restore quickly because the body is going to experience relief when restoration is made. Now, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about your Christian life. We have some in here that, that have got a, a, a five-year testimony. We have others in here that probably have a 60-year testimony, I'm not sure. Of, of church relationships. I want you to think in your testimony how many times restoration has not been made. And just imagine the, the cumulative effect that that must have on the body of Christ. And, and some of that we can't, we can't fix because as I said, some people don't want to be restored. Uh, some people just refuse Others, it's been too long, too much is too many, too much water under the bridge, so to speak. But what it ought to make us is it ought to make us hypersensitive to the ones we have now, so that if one uh, looks as if they're in a fault, we try to fix, we try to restore, we try to reset that so the body will not experience anything else, any other pain. We're instructed not only to restore, but also while considering that we could also fall. Do you see that? Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself. It is is considering that we might be, it says in the King James, tempted, that means tested. We may endure some type of test. We I personally, may fall into some kind of of discontent or malcontent, and and so we restore them while we're thinking about ourselves because we're thinking if if I was, then I would want somebody to restore me. I I, uh, I think about this from this perspective, and this is for me. It may or may not help you from a perspective point of view, but you know, I think uh, for years, you know, we hear about immigration all the time, and. And uh, people coming to America, coming to America. And and I don't, I don't know that if you haven't been anywhere, I don't know that you comprehend why they're coming here. But uh, 15, 16 years ago was the first time I set foot uh, in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. I knew immediately. The minute I stepped off of the airplane. I knew immediately. In fact, I told the guys that I was with, boys, if you left me here, I'd be home as soon as you. I'd just be wet. I mean, I understand. I get it. I completely understand it. I, we've been to places in Peru. We've been to places in Jamaica. Uh, we've been to places in, in, uh, in Africa. You, I, there's no way. If I was anywhere but here, I would be trying to get here, Right? We ought to have that same emotion in trying to restore somebody thinking to ourselves, if that was me, I would want somebody to restore me. I wouldn't want to be caught out there. I wouldn't, be caught, wouldn't want to be caught outside of the family. And so we are to restore to the rightful place while we think about how it would be for us. We're also instructed to restore with a spirit of meekness. In the past, we've defined uh, meekness, people uh, un, un, inappropriately associate meekness with weakness. And meekness is not weakness. In fact, meekness is best described, the best way I've heard it described is a horse who rein rain-trained, uh, that 1,500-pound that animal, much stronger, much more able than the person riding it, but they are meek. Uh, under those reins, they are power under control. That's meekness. Well, there's, there's another uh, thought about meekness, and, and I think we could, we could apply that here. When we think of a spirit of meekness, we realize that, that we could indeed not restore them, but we, we are an, in a spirit of meekness. But there's another uh, definition offered is uh, Richard Trent. He's a a 19th century theologian. This is what he said. Meekness is that temper of spirit towards God whereby we accept His dealings without disputing. Then towards men whereby we endure their provocations and do not withdraw ourselves from their burdens which the sins their sins impose upon us. So it is... It is the idea that uh, we, in in meekness towards God, we accept whatever without any disputing because we comprehend that He's God and I'm not. But when I'm meek towards other men, it's the idea of long-suffering, that I'm not going to allow their fallen state and the sinfulness which is... Uh, uh, creating a problem in them to provoke me I'm going to endure uh, in order to restore them to the body of Christ meekness so we would think of the antithesis of arrogance we're glad to restore and we do so with meekness because God has so dealt with us in the past and may need to do so again in the future, so with meekness. Then he says, bear ye one another's burdens. In fact, he says, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It is is my opinion here that there's a little bit of sarcasm in that. I believe that the Apostle Paul is pointing back at those legalizers who are all hung up on the law and this is what he's saying Paul says, Look, if you do this, if you restore the fallen brother with a spirit of meekness, when you do that, you'll fulfill the only law that matters, which is the law of Christ, which we would know is love your neighbor as yourself. So uh, Paul would say, Be a developer of men. Then in, in, in verse 3, he would say, Don't be a deceiver. Of men, or, don't be a deceptive man. He says there, For if a man think of himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. It almost sounds uh, double talk because here he says, bear one another's burdens. And now he says, every man bears his own burden. But there's a, there's a point to that. Listen to this paraphrase. For if any person thinks himself to be somebody too important to condescend, to shoulder another's load, when he is nobody of superiority except in his own estimation, he deceives and deludes and cheats himself. So that's what Paul says. If you think you're somebody, you're just deceiving yourself. I had somebody ask me the other day, strangest question I've ever had anybody ask me, I think he meant it in good in good spirit, uh, do people treat you like a preacher or do they treat you like a man? Uh, uh, both, I don't know, I, and you know, I, 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 I guess I thought at that moment, the answer I gave him was, I'm mostly just like another guy, you know, I'm... Blue collar, I, I like it that way and that's okay. But I don't exactly know what he meant by that. But but but, who, who are we to to have some exalted opinion of ourselves? If we do, we're deceiving ourselves, right? Because what are we? We're just a sinner saved by grace. That's what we are. And so there's not anything greatly special about us. God gives and enables us, but that is only to his end. And so Paul says here, look, it, it, what he's talking about is hypocrisy. he's talking about hypocrisy that would present itself when someone else falls and we assume or presume i should uh, I guess we should say presume that we are above restoring that fallen brother like we are we we cannot condescend to that that is. That is a step too far the The implication would be that we would never need such help. In fact, the further implication might be we never have needed such help, and so we're not going to uh, reach out to that person because we would not we we I just wouldn't do that. I don't really know how to communicate with it. Uh, and so it's this this. Hyper self righteous attitude. You see it quite often, actually. It's not uncommon to see it. Uh, it happens even around here, and I don't even think people realize that it's happening. I don't think they they mean it that way, but that's what Paul's saying. Listen, if you think if you if you've got this high opinion of yourself, you're you're lying to yourself. You're deceiving yourself. So. There's an error in that type of thing and thinking, and, and we would be acting deceptively, likely even fooling ourselves at times. So what should we think? How, how should I think of myself? He says, if a man think himself to be something when he's nothing, so how should I think of myself? Well, this is what he says in that verse is, uh, prove your own work. And so, what does that mean? Well, that means that uh, I should scrutinize, I should measure, I should examine, I should test my own conduct and my own works and my own attitude and what am I looking for? I'm, seeing, I'm checking to see if they're aligned with the Scriptures. Am I in line with the Scriptures? And am I in line with Christ? Or, am I Have I falsely aligned myself with some fad or some denominational uh, anomaly, something that is not scriptural, something that is more ritual than scriptural? And once I do that, once I challenge myself, once I examine myself, I do this through prayer, I do it through a study of the Word of God, I, I consider and I look at myself, and then if I come to the conclusion that I'm in lockstep with the Spirit of God, and look, you may be, we've, there are times that we are. Paul encourages us to be, walk in the Spirit, be in lockstep with the Spirit. So it's obviously something that we can accomplish, or he wouldn't encourage us to accomplish it. And so if I do that, and I say, okay, I'm in lockstep with the Spirit, I'm in time with the Word of God, then I can rejoice in my alignment with the righteousness that is God, rather than celebrating some pseudo-superiority over some other person. That's what he says. If a man think himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own works, and then he shall have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. So what do most Christians do? Or I hate to say it that way, but what is a common act for a believer to do? It is to say, well, um, you know, uh, pick somebody out with a bad habit and say, well, at least I don't do that. Well, that person does this, that, and the other thing, and I don't do that. Can you believe that person allows this and that and the other? Can you believe that person's... Children do this, that, or the other. And, well, I'm glad my kids don't do that. and I'm glad I don't do that. And So what's happening there is you're comparing yourself to somebody else and you're rejoicing in their failures and calling it your victory. And Paul says, well, you're lying to yourself. You're deceiving yourself. That's not truthful. And so uh, our comparison with another is vanity. And then he says, Uh, every man bears his own burden. This is how that works. When you stand before Christ, you're going to stand there alone. Uh, You can blame me today. You can blame your mom and daddy today. You can blame your bad upbringing today. You can blame the church. You can blame anybody you want to blame. But if you are born again and you stand before the judgment seat of Christ there will be no one standing there with you and there will be no words uttered from your mouth seeking to make an excuse for yourself because the books will be opened and God is, Christ will judge you based on the works done in your body. Every man, bear your own burden. That's what that means. So as we look at the idea in respect of, or, or as it relates, I should say, to restoring brethren, we ought to want to carry their burdens for them because we want to restore them. But when I'm talking about the, the in respect to my righteous standing, I'm not looking to blame anybody else because when I get to the end, there's not going to be anybody there to blame. It's me. And so uh, I'm not going to let you, I'm not going to rejoice in your failures because your failures aren't going to be presented when I stand before the judgment seat. My failures are going to be presented. And I believe they're going to be presented on a curve. I believe to whom much is given, what the Bible says, much is going to be expected. So why would I even want to consider comparing myself to another person? They're not going to be there in the end. So, You want to be a developer of people. You don't want to be a deceptive person. And then you have to recognize value. He says in verse 6 through verse 10, let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. We're going to hit these as quick as I can. First, you need to recognize the value of the word. The value of the taught word. Paul is speaking, I looked at several places today to make sure I wanted this to be about something else, (laughs) but it's not. It is about what it is about. Paul is speaking directly to them. It's a straightforward command to take care of the one or the ones that teach you. If they are providing you with spiritual goods, spiritual materials, spiritual wealth, spiritual riches, you should provide for their material needs. Remember Paul said earlier, he, he didn't take anything from them. He's saying in the future, you take care of the one that teaches you. This is, this is what we come here. The, the word uh, communicate, it is the word share. Maybe share in the ESV is maybe, maybe what you see. It again is a Greek coin uh, koinye or koinoneo. It means uh, to have in common. Uh, in fact, uh, if you read about the New Testament church, In the book of Acts, in the beginning, they had all things in common. They had all things in koinonia. They shared everything. Koinonia can describe material sharing. It can describe fellowship, sharing in common. It can describe a number of things, but but it means to have in common. That's the biblical principle, by the way, concerning uh, uh, salaries and provisions and supports as it relates to pastor or staff. There ought to be a commonality with the congregation. It's very clear to see this, by the way. It's very logical, it's very common sense, and if you just think about it for a moment, spiritually you'll understand it to be true. There, there should be a commonality with the congregation. So if the pastor is leading, serving an affluent church full of affluent people, in reality, he's, he should be affluent. It, it, he should be the same. There should be a commonality in keeping with the average member of the body. If, where, on the other hand, you may have a pastor leading or serving in a rural, less affluent church. He should not be demanding the same kind of income, if you will, that someone uh, in the affluent church would, because the church is not capable but they still need leadership. So there should be commonality between the body of Christ and the the shepherd, the the pastor. This is where it begins to be odd, and you've seen this. It's when the church and the the staff are on opposite ends of the spectrum. That's where there's a problem. And that looks both ways. Uh, By the way, it's abusive either way. Uh, It used to be, I've never, ever had this issue. God has always provided for us. Every church we've served at has provided for us, and we praise the Lord for that. But, you know, it used to be a common thing about, um, uh, it's it's so cliche, I'm sure you heard it, Um, um, we'll keep him poor and God will keep him honest. I think, is that how that went? I think I've heard it like that before. Uh, You know, and it, it used to be that kind of thing. It was like, I mean, if you met a preacher, he didn't have anything, and I don't care where he was at, he that, you know, because there was, there was no value added in that. That's what this verse is talking to. And then you also have those situations where you have a pastor that's making two, three, four million dollars a year. And I don't, I don't know in what, uh, in what stratosphere that works out. I don't know how that, I don't know how you justify that. Uh, it's not my business, uh, apparently. But at any rate, that's what Paul's talking about. If, if you're taught the word, share with the one that teaches. Communicate to him. So we recognize value in the taught word. This, this speaks to your walk, by the way. And that's what he says there in verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap eternal life. Uh, so what is he saying? He's saying, well, this reveals... What is important to you? Where you are willing to sow, where you're willing to invest, that's, that shows what is important to you. And so if you are uh, purely carnal and you're, you're completely uh, carnally concerned, uh, then you're going to reap carnality. If you are spiritual and you are spirit-led and spirit-living and spirit walking, and spirit investing, you're going to reap spiritual things. You're going to reap everlasting life. But you, you have to be consistent and not lose heart. That's what he says. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And then it also speaks to your work. Paul says in verse 10, as we therefore have opportunity, let's do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So this is what he says. As much as is possible, as often as you can, in every opportunity, at each occasion, let's do good unto all men, but especially the church, the body of Christ, the household of faith. That is the believers. So that, so that we should have this aspect, this... this uh, this uh, way of living that we do good all that we can to everyone with me, but even more so to those of the faith. That we do good, that we do right. And I don't believe that needs any explanation. We, we know what it means to good. We know what it means to do it to all people. We know what it means to be of the household of faith. We know what it means to have opportunity. It's straight Christian living. I guess this question, what if, what if you were on trial tomorrow? This is how the, the Spirit opposed it to me today. What if you were on trial tomorrow and the question was of one of Christian character and Galatians chapter six was codified law? Then how would you fare? Have you been restorative as a general practice in your life? Have you loved the way Christ loves? Have you been truthful or hypocritical? Do you condescend to help or are you just condescending in attitude? Have you invested in the spiritual? When we talk about investment, you hear me say this all the time, time, talent, and treasure. Have you invested your time, your talent, and your treasure in the spiritual? Do you seek constantly to do good to everyone that you can? Are you ultra protective of those in the household of faith? That's how the first 10 verses speak to me. In verse 11, we have the conclusion. I'm not going to read it all again. It's important that you see that Paul says, you see how large a letter I've written with my own hand. He's not talking about the volume of this particular letter. He's talking about the actual size of the letters that he wrote in order to write it because he wrote it with his own hand and he had very, very poor eyesight. And he is saying to them, I slaved over this letter for you. I wrote this entire letter and I wanted you to see that I wrote it. And then he says to them, I want you to think about... Those Judaizers, those people that try to make a showing in the flesh. And I want you to think about how they uh, only want you circumcised so that they won't suffer for the cross. They want you circumcised so they can glory in your flesh. They can pat themselves on the back that you were obedient to them and circumcising yourself. That's all they want. And he says, I only want to glory in the cross of Christ because that is uh, who saved me, because through him the world is crucified to me and I into the world. And then he comes down and says, From here forward, let, let no man trouble me, for I bear in the body, in my body, the marks of the Lord Jesus. You should have to look sometime at the beatings and the stonings and the shipwrecks and all of the things, not to mention the eye disease that the Apostle Paul had. He would have been a tattered mess, and he endured all of that just for the joy of preaching the cross. He said, I don't have to defend myself. I have the marks in my body that prove I've preached the cross. That's the book of Galatians, folks. And uh, I hope that it's uh, been uh, informational for you and educational. Uh, but more than that, I hope that we all can make application of these truths. I believe we'd be a better church if we do and be better Christians. Let's look at our prayer list.